HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program was brought to you by Le Creuset, made in France since 1925, the first and finest enameled cast iron cookware and a favorite for generations. For more information, visit lecreuset.com. That's L-E-C-R-E-U-S-E-T dot com. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I hope that every single one of them is tuning into this episode of Tech Bites, the weekly show where we talk to influencers and innovators in the food tech space. And today we have a very full studio. We are covering uh, what is turning out to be one of the big food, food tech stories of the year. Um, unfortunately, it's not a great story. It's not about some small company becoming a unicorn or changing the world. It is the pilot work story, which um, is happening around the country, but we're most focused on it in Brooklyn. You may have read that back in October, the incubator pilot works, which was a 10,000 square foot production kitchen co-working space where there were more than 175 independent food companies getting their start in the world. It was an exciting place. It was in the Pfizer building, which is historically one of the epicenters of the Brooklyn food world. They had just raised over $13 million in 2017 with big name venture groups backed by the likes of Campbell's. So all seemed well and good in the world until October 13th when they shut and locked the doors and sent everyone an email and said, go home, we're closed, with no apparent reason or rationale. And people literally had to walk away from things on the stove and food on counters and and projects. They ultimately had an opportunity to go back in and recuperate some of their equipment and wares, but today, about exactly a month later, 
We are here doing a show to follow up on what is happening with all of those companies displaced by the Pilot Works closing. So we have a really big round table today of a lot of different folks, and I'm happy to say that a lot of them are past guests of TechBytes, so you will all hear some familiar voices and one new one. And they all have an interesting role to play both in the original story and then in the aftermath um, in terms of what's happening with the companies that are now outside and trying desperately to work through the busiest season of the year, the holidays. So returning from a very recent appearance, we have Michael Robinoff, who is... You might remember him from the Millennial CEO episode. He is the CEO of a company called Farm to Table. He is co-founder with his father, David Robinoff, who's also here joining us today. And they were tenants in the Pilotworks space. So we're going to talk. thank the two of you for coming out to see us. Thank you. Nice to have you back. I'm happy to be back. Yeah. And so we have... This, this point of view of Farm to People being tenants, and then we also have reoccurring guests. We have Michael Wink from Our Harvest, who was actually one of the very, very first Tech Byte guests back in 2015. He's co-founder of the company, and back then it was Uber plus Our Harvest kind of brings the farm to you, was the idea. That's right. We've obviously moved a little bit off that since, but it's been a really, really exciting time to you know be part of this business and hopefully do our best to help the people at Pilotworks. So, um, and we'll, we'll get all in, we'll, we'll get into all the details. But Mike has a very interesting point of view here because he um, was selling many of the products through our harvest. So he was using many of the companies and pilot works as suppliers. And when this happened, um, he's also you know involved in fundraising and different things like that. He immediately got in touch with another TechBytes former guest. Cheryl Clements, who is the CEO and founder of the crowdfunding site PyShell. Hi, Jennifer. It's great to be back. Nice to hear your voice again and see you. So the two of them got together, and they are raising funds to help the companies that have been displaced. So we have a sort of nice, um, nice panel of folks here to sort of talk about what happened and take us into the future and tell us how listeners and people can help if you're interested. So let's start off with Michael and David. Um, just really quickly, you know, what was the experience of working in the pilot workspace and then, you know, ultimately being put on the street like that? It, it's, it was definitely, it was definitely weird. Uh, I remember the night that we got the email that they closed. That was bizarre, but mostly it was shocking for the impact that it's having on the local food scene and all of the businesses that were actually producing out of there. We used the space as a co-working space and relied and had a very robust and, and, and a lot of plans with their distribution network. We really wanted to be one of the first um, buyers and, and supporters of many of these small businesses, and we're working with um, their head of distribution to build out um, kind of a, 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 a merchandising line right onto our site where these folks could launch nationwide and ship nationwide. And that that we got to see that part of the business crumble. Um, and it's really been how do we rebuild that um, on our site and, and support these makers that were displaced and, and, and don't have kitchen space and don't have all of these resources at their disposal anymore. As you said, in the most 
busy and crucial time of the year. Q4. Um, Q4. It's the money time. Yeah, absolutely. For just about any single business. Absolutely. I mean, 99% of businesses in the world are making the big money in Q4. This is when you make the profit to, yeah. to absorb any hits yeah. the rest of the yeah. year. Exactly. Um, and so th- that, w- that, that was a, a crazy experience. Um, and so... We've just been trying to, to, to help those businesses and, and put together the pieces uh, to, to make some impact. Um, can, yeah. you, can you segregate out a little bit, though, what was the impact on farm-to-table People. as a business? Just your business being displaced from your office, from the place that you were working, the impact on farm-to-table losing your supply chain and some distribution partners... Yeah, so it happened a week before we were set to open um, our holiday market at Bryant Park. Um, we were getting 33% about of our inventory directly through Pilotworks Distribution, which was going to help us uh, streamline operations for both the vendors and for us, eliminate drop-offs to our location, eliminate us having to do daily pickups there, and all of a sudden that was cut off. Not to mention the inventory that these makers were stockpiling. Now all of a sudden they couldn't stockpile quite as quickly, and they have all these vendors looking. And so we actually invested in a van for the two months so that we'll be able to support these makers in getting those pickups and we're running pickups about uh three days a week to the pfizer building um and kind of wherever else they need to go some of them have been displaced to hot Bright kitchen up in harlem others are I, I, you know I, I don't even know just different like friends that are pitching in to help and we're getting them from warehouses in queens and things like that so are that, you going to have to wait until january after the dust settles to sort of like run the numbers and look at the books and the inventory and just see how it settled Probably, probably. I, you know, we, we, <laughs> he's going to look at me, David's going to look at me and be like, no, the numbers better make sense. I've, I've, re, <laughs> I, I've redone the numbers and we, there's a good story here. So maybe discounts are a little less. And, yes. and when people are asking that for 20% off, how about pay season. that? Yeah, yeah. How about pay that mm-hmm. 20% and it's going to a, a very special cause. <laughs> so Mike, you have a similar or have a similar relationship with the makers and producers in Pilot Works. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your relationship with Our Harvest and, and the community there? Yeah, of course. So uh, Our Harvest carries a lot of the freshest food from around the greater New York area and also prides our, ourselves on finding some very innovative products. And Pilot Works, or at least Food Works before that, was a hub of innovation in the Brooklyn food community. And so we found ourselves partnering with many, many producers there, many of whom actually were the, launched on our site. And so at the time Pilot Works went down, we had about 23 producers on our site who are either uh, makers there or alums of, of Pilot Works or the food works that came before. And so for us, we're obviously impacted because that's a lost amount of sales for us. But what really, really sort of driving home uh, our concern and the reason why we sort of stepped in and tried to help everybody was just getting frantic calls from people whose entire livelihood was at stake. We're talking 120 businesses and all of their employees in Brooklyn, and now they're out of business. Uh, some of them had inventory that they could sell, but some of them were producers that relied on inventory that turned over the course of a day or two days or three days. And people, when they have small entrepreneurial businesses, often run invoice to invoice or paycheck to paycheck, right? And so to have 23 people or you know less than that uh, who are still producing there calling frantically about what do we do with our business? How, how can you help us? We, I mean, it was incumbent on us as entrepreneurs to step in and try to do what we can to try to support people who need it. So what was one of the first things that you did when you started getting those phone calls? So the first thing I did is I thought, 
maybe Pie Shell would be a really good idea here. So uh, first thing I did was actually ping Cheryl and a few other people that were both producers in the space as well as uh, met former mentors at the old kind of food works and just say, hey, guys, this is going down. Let's see what we can do to try to find people, alternate places to, to produce if we can. Two, try to get that kitchen reopened in some form if we can do that. And then three try to do some sort of crowdfunding campaign through PyShell to try to get funds directly back in the hands of the people who need it in order to sustain them through this incredibly busy time and important time of the year. So Cheryl's company, PyShell, is specific to food and the food and beverage space, and it is crowdfunding, but also marketing. And Cheryl herself spends a lot of time on airplanes, um, <laughs> going to all of the various food tech conferences, startups, um, opportunities, you know, to be parts of accelerators and incubators and things like that. So she probably has a pretty good view of what's what's happening in the country. And I do want to remind people that PilotWorks was a national company. They had spaces in Chicago and Portland and Newark, Newark and Austin, and, Austin. Yeah. and this is not just a, a New York Brooklyn story. So, Cheryl, what was your take on it when it started happening? And and obviously, you picked up the phone when Mike called. Yeah, absolutely. I I was actually sitting at home, and one of our advisors and Fast and Furious friends of Pie Shell and investor Ian Kelleher, who is incredibly tied into the community and a mentor at PilotWorks. Um, sent me a text saying PilotWorks is no longer, and I sent back three little initials, which had some curse words in it, you know, saying, what are you talking about? And when we realized what had happened, there was just no other option than what can we do? Because one of the things that I think all of us in this room, yourself included, you're absolutely a a heroine in this space, is it's about the community. And being that so many of them happen to be from the Brooklyn area, and our friends, I mean, I knew Drew from back in Dinner Lab. He lived two blocks away from where I live in, on, on island. And, you know, from that to food works, to see pilot works, to see people come and go and companies, it was just what can we do? And with no questions asked, I, I have a funding platform. While I play in the food and beverage space because I get the best samples of any industry in the world, um, I am a fintech platform. And so we have that incredible gift with us and our community. And you alluded to some of the travel. One of the one of the events I had been to was the inaugural The Nick Summit, which was held in Minneapolis, which was founded by the Food Corridor, which is an ERP package for the back end of commercial kitchens. And I immediately reached out to Ashley Colpart to put out the call to other kitchens and incubators because um, I had just been to this event where there were tons of people in the room from that are doing very similar things that do not want this stain on their industry and their business and, you know, want to rally behind these guys. And so we are, you know, we've reached out to the Facebook groups and other people in that space. And, you know, it is next week is Thanksgiving. This is the time to really, you know, pull together and seeing everyone from all around the country, as you alluded to. I mean, there was easily 20 or 30 companies in Newark that are like, where do we go? And, you know, it's a different state. It's super close to New York, but it's a different state. And there's not a lot of kitchens in in Jersey. And so those are some of the challenges they face throughout the country. So if people are listening and want to take a look at the fundraiser, their crowdsourcing fundraiser right now, you want to go to pieshell.com. And is that what can... Absolutely. It's uh, it's highlighted right on the homepage. They'll see a big, beautiful picture that said, you know, help the pilot work 
members. We know that there were easily 175 companies. We're trying to bring them all into a group. And, and the money that we are raising is going to go directly back to them. Some of them paid for storage and some of them paid for some distribution costs. Some of them, you know, like the guys here, it was more just co-working. But I say just, that's a lot of money to a lot of people. So I don't want to discount that. And then, of course, the people that were actually producing in the space when the doors were locked and they were told to step out, you know, that there was no longer. So we're trying to get funds directly back to them and any little bit can help. I mean, some people are like $400 isn't going to make a difference. It absolutely can. I mean, I can share that one of the members, Tina, is now maybe three weeks away from giving birth and has a phenomenal company. And I got a perfect storm. It, it's absolutely horrifying. She slacked me um, when we were reaching out saying this is things we want to do and how can we help and, you know, to try and get a better feel for it. And she shared a week or two, you know, the week that it happened. She said, I'm eight weeks from giving birth. Mm -hmm. I had everything planned out. I have my staff. She just slacked me yesterday, I believe it was. I reached out to Mike and because Mike knows her well and, you know, can talk to her also. And she said, you know, is there any news? I'm desperate. I'm so desperate. She's losing her staff, her business, and all while she's bringing the greatest gift into this world, a brand well, new she's baby. she's making the best product there is. It is. A it person. is. Yeah. Yeah. Her, her incubator is still running strong, but uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's really a testament to the community. And I, you know, the startup community just generally, I think, has a very... Um, well-established sense of camaraderie, you know, the whole idea of incubator and accelerator and having mentors and advisors is one very much of people giving time and energy to help someone along. You know, if you have something that's valuable and you can share it to bring someone's business into the world, people do that. And that has translated into the food tech space. But the big difference is in the food tech space, we're talking about food that's perishable for the most part. I mean, there are platforms, you know, you could say our harvest and, and farm to people are, you know, platforms in e-commerce, um, but you still need stuff in the stores. And, and when you think about, um, you know, the loss of all those things, it's, it's very hard to, you know, warehouse it and save it for another day or go around and, and look for it again, because we're not talking about looking for, you know, plastic boxes and widgets and, and things like that that are on the shelves somewhere, because these are all very unique things. Um, they are looking to raise $50,000. Minimum. Minimum. <laughs> minimum. If I can say, yeah. Um, they have 29 days to go. So if you're listening and you want to follow along at home or at work, um, you know, take a look. Take a look at that while we're on the air. I, I also want to say that the, the catalyst for this show... Um, not that it's not a big story, not that it's not a story that I've been following. And interestingly, there was a huge pop of media coverage right around when it happened in October. And I was doing research over the weekend um, and at the beginning of the week for the show, and I really didn't find anything new. I didn't find any new updates. I didn't find where people went. I didn't find what was going on. Um, maybe people are busy. Maybe, you know, the news media cycle is just insane right now. So there's a, there's a lot of information churning through it. But I was at an event um, for Farm to People. They're launching their new app for shopping, perfect for Q4. And I had the opportunity to meet David, who did not come on the Millennial CEO show. Um, and we were talking about it, and he was talking about some very interesting um, conversations and activity happening in the community of 
the idea of trying to find a collective to take over the pilot space and maybe turnkey a new ownership into the space to keep the idea of it, the space of it, and the community of it running with just maybe much, much better leadership. I, yeah, I met with the um, people from New York State Department of Agriculture, and they had informed me that uh, it looked like the EDC and, and Hot Bread Kitchen were going to step up and negotiate and get that space and get it open quickly so all those makers could get back in there and start producing again. So I've been trying to follow up where that has gone, and I'm kind of at a dead end here that uh, it, it appears that Hot Bread Kitchen is not moving forward, nor the EDC. And that's why I'm here, and I'm interested in, in, in what we're doing and raising money. And I have talked with various members of Slow Money and, uh, and IC and, and SVN about trying to raise money and, and building a co-op uh, venture out of this and I've been in touch with the landlord I know the landlord there at Pfizer building but you know he's saying it's going to get tied up in bankruptcy court it's going to take months to resolve I, he just can't get to the space or the assets and as we're waiting these poor makers and that was really the original intent of farm to people were to help small batch makers uh, get a footing giving them a platform uh, so I continue to try that, and we'll continue that effort. And uh, but so right now, I feel we're kind of uh, back to square one. I was really hoping and thinking that Hot Bread Kitchen would be in there operating sooner than later. So it sounds like one of the principal barriers is not necessarily um, desire or intention or interested parties. It sounds like it's going to be the legal process of pilot works do we know if they've actually declared bankruptcy or not are there any yeah. legal yeah. public documents yet Sorry. yeah there is a I, as far as i know there's a lawyer in la that's running the unwinding process and dissolving the business i don't know if mike you know yeah. something so different. so they haven't formally filed for bankruptcy because filing for bankruptcy uh, requires public disclosure of a lot of things that I suspect people on the other side would not want publicly disclosed and so um they're doing something that's that's uh, using a provision of California law to unwind uh, the assets of, of PilotWorks. And so they hired a team of people who were responsible for selling uh, the assets of the space. And of course, there are a lot of creditors, uh, people who sort of are owed money for various levels, whether it's a producer who's owed money from the distribution arm um, who was making there, or whether it was the landlord who owns the space or operate, you know, owns the land that they were leasing. And again, not just for New York, but for assets across the country. And I think every individual space that, that exists across the country will have a different set of timing and different set of ways in which it's unwound based on how states operate. And so it's a kind of like pretty technical um, uh, unwinding process in addition to any litigation that might actually be out there. Um, I know that the, the, the landlord has been super helpful and friendly and doing everything he can to help makers there, offering them space and other things. Um, wherever he can, but it's, it's extremely challenging to go through uh, any restructuring, especially one where there's 175 tenant businesses that are dependent on the space itself. And the other thing that people don't realize as well is when you're making food, I mean, a lot of people start their businesses at home, you know, oh, I came home, I had this amazing cooking recipe, or in Cheryl's case, we made amazing pies at my house. Exactly. Um, but you're kind of, you can't really make 
food anywhere and then sell it. I mean, once you reach a certain production stage and you're selling your things, you need to be in, you know, specific licensed inspected kitchens and follow the protocols of the local and, you know, state laws for food. So sometimes it's not as easy as just like, oh, hey, here's an empty kitchen. Come and do your thing. You also yeah. need the infrastructure to be running um, a legal food business, which people may not realize. Right. As an example, like if you're under uh, agriculture and markets or even the Department of Health, if you have a license, it's licensed for a very specific geographic location. So if you were to move kitchens from one incubator to another, say from Pilot Works to Hotbird Kitchen, you would need to get relicensed in that space. And so there's always a process when you're working with the government to get relicensed. And again, they've been helpful as well, but still, it's not, it's, it's not an it's overnight still a process. process. Exactly. It's still a process. Even it, when it's the express line at the DMV, you still got to go. We are going to take a quick break and talk about funding for Heritage Radio Network, which is a 501c3 nonprofit. Did you know? Stay with us and find out who is underwriting the show. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni, the host of Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I was introduced to Le Creuset cast iron skillets many years ago in my first restaurant, Muggsy's Chow Chow in the East Village. Le Creuset has the superior heat retention of cast iron paired with unparalleled performance and the ease of enamel. That means delicious food with easy cleanup. And I love easy cleanup after running my own restaurants in New York for 23 years. Le Creuset original heirloom cookware is backed by a lifetime warranty. Their bold colors and timeless designs allow for an expression of personal style in the kitchen and beyond. Head to lecreuset.com hrn. That's L-E-C-R-E-U-S-E-T dot com to see all the new products and amazing holiday gift deals. HRN listeners will get 20% off the new Le Creuset cookbook with the code HRN. When I meet St. Peter, I don't let you down. Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network where we talk to influencers and innovators in the food tech space. But you know what? I would love to talk to you in person, maybe on Monday, December 3rd at the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens. We are having the Heritage Radio Network Winter Gala, Winter in the Garden to the return. And I would love to see you. You can buy tickets at eventbrite.com. Look for Winter in the Garden too. It's Monday evening, December 3rd. It starts at 6 p.m. There are lots of different kinds of tickets, and the important thing is that if you use the code TechBytes, you get 10% off. It's going to be an amazing evening. There's going to be DJ Cherish, the Love Spinning Tunes. We have a really fun games. You can win wine and things like that. And you can meet all the hosts like me and some of your other favorite voices. And there's going to be lots of delicious food and drink. And it's a really good cause because if you like listening to this show, we need your money. So come and celebrate the winter with us on December 3rd. Eventbrite, Winter in the Garden 2. That's my PSA. This episode is also a little bit of a PSA. We are following up on what is happening with the Pilot Works closure in Brooklyn and around the world. We have over a, more than 175 companies that have been displaced and put out and lost space and funding and production and are losing staff. And it's a really... Um, difficult thing to work through when you're a small business owner and you have absolutely zero margin and no safety net. Sitting with us today talking about 
um, their experience with the closing and what they are doing to move forward both independently for their companies and their fellow makers. We have Michael and David Robinoff from Farm to People. If you want to take a look at what they do, go to farmtopeople.com. They were uh, using the space for co-working and also as a pipeline for product for their website. We also have Mike Winnick, who is co-founder and CEO of Our Harvest, ourharvest.com, um, who was also using it as a base of distribution and discovering amazing products. And he, along with Cheryl Clements, who is the CEO and founder of PieShell, pieshell.com, have joined together to try and raise at least $50,000 to help the companies. So it sounds like un unraveling the legalities of this is going to take a really long time and that people will not likely be walking into that space anytime soon. And the time that it takes to extradite and extricate the current tenants and all their legal situations and then put together another group and then walk back in. I mean, it could be a year or two. I uh, only only counterpoint is that I think there is hope for there to be some semblance of a quick resolution if someone is able to come in with capital to basically get the parties to agree. What do you think quick means? Um, I think it could happen in a matter of weeks, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, if, but again, there's a lot of ifs, right? There, you need to be able to raise enough money to get the space reopened, to be able to make both the uh, landlord and the you know pilot works creditors happy. Um, so it's super complicated, but it's not an insurmountable challenge. That's a tricky thing. Um, if anybody has ever looked at real estate or been in the restaurant business, if you want to move into a space and the, 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 the prior tenant like owes back taxes and all that kind of stuff, you can be on the hook for that money. Uh, well, in theory, well, potentially, yes, but it depends also how uh, purchases of the, of the space are, are structured. So there's ways to legally structure things um, to, to prevent things like that. That doesn't mean that there, it's not super complicated or challenging, but there are ways around a lot of those challenges. So let's talk about this in like real terms and numbers, just a ballpark, because it sounds like a lot of people have in the in this room have been looking at the specifics of the deal. What's the ballpark you think, or and I, I'm looking at Mike and David, um, of capital that you would need, that a company would need, or a collective would need to go in and retake the space and then have some you know funding for one way to put it together ballpark yeah so i think i think a lot of that depends on uh, the intended use of the space so if people are planning to reopen the kitchen uh, one of the major questions and i think one of the unknowns is how long does it take to get everyone back in the kitchen operating and i don't mean like actually working i mean to get the kitchen back to capacity so if you had 120 people that were producing there, if you're able to restart, people have found other space. Some have been lucky enough to do that. Um, others may have shut down and may not be able to reopen. So if it takes six months to get the space back to capacity or it takes a year and a half, obviously changes the dynamic. And so um, I don't think it's like, easy to pinpoint a specific number, um, but uh, you know, I think that it's, we're not looking at like 50 or 100,000. You're looking at a much more significant investment than that. Interesting. So it would have to be a large entity or a big consortium of people, because we're looking at something more significant probably than you would raise on Pie Shell. It definitely. Um, the money that we are raising is not going to the hundreds of thousands to potentially, you know, a number with two commas in it. That's certainly not what we're trying to raise on Pie Shell. We're we're just trying to get some money back in the hands of people who, you know, prepaid their rent and prepaid their kitchen space lost inventory type of things and then after that what we're you know when when some of those 
quantitative items are taken care of where they can truly show receipts and this is what we've put out and then we'll be able to reimburse that's our number one goal and then anything that we raise above and beyond that we're actually going to pull together a members team of people you know we're going to probably try and pull about five members that are highly respected and that people will value the opinions of that group and we're sort of calling them a board of members and then mike and i would also have oversight we're making sure it's an odd number and not an even number so that everybody can come to a consensus um, but then we're going to look at the money and, and then how it would be allocated because you know even as we've heard in the room some people you know used it for co you know co-working which is not a you know a crazy amount of money and it probably isn't going to put your company out of business where we've heard numbers as high as fifteen thousand dollars that people have lost and their entire businesses are going down the drain as as we talk right now to be candid and so We'll use this group and try and see who was the most impacted, who used the space the most, and who candidly could use it the most. And hopefully that's where we'll see that the community will come together and say, look, we maybe lost more than someone else, but we can't afford that loss where this company can't. And hopefully this board of members that we're going to pull together will be able to take a look at that and truly be able to allocate it in a reasonable and, and, and helpful and way. thoughtful way, and not Absolutely. just sort of like a blanket across the board and really try and put resources towards matching resources to specific need. Correct. I wanted to quickly jump in from like a, a 10,000 foot level and just look at the business that Pilot Works or originally what Foodworks was doing. Cause I think it's a really, we're all here and sitting here because I think from so many different levels, it's a really interesting concept and a really interesting idea. And it fostered so much creativity and so much delicious food coming out of there. And so I would, I, I really think that, and one thing you brought up early pre-show pre was the fact that there's bigger businesses here that are involved and there's a lot of innovation that could be valuable to bigger business and yet none of them are jumping in to save the day. At the same time, though, you have like this really incredible pipeline that both Mike at Our Harvest and us at Farm to People found super valuable in terms of introducing um, consumers to new products, things that, people that are doing things in new, delicious, different ways. And how do we not lose that innovation, especially in a time where the food system is going through such tremendous, like, I want to call it up, upheaval and also reinvention in a great way. Um, and, and a lot of these makers were at the forefront of that. And to me, it's 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 how do you take the pieces of that that Foodworks business business, even if you can't save everything about it. But how do you keep that nugget of creativity and, and that future alive through wh whatever means? I'm not I don't have an answer. Well, you raise a good point about the the pilot work space. Uh, there, I mean, there's a there's a many many different points. I think the two that maybe we have time to talk about is one. It's that the multi-use and the complexity of what was happening in that space is not so apparent to create or replicate. And as far as I know, it it was a fairly unique entity, and there weren't that many spaces that are like that. You have incubators and startup spaces on an intellectual and business level where you have people working together in a co-working space where you have meetings and mentors and you can talk about things. You have commercial production kitchens, which are separate entities, which have equipment and are regulated and have inspectors and all that kind of stuff. And then you have, you know, business mentoring and finance and sales and distribution. And you had sort of almost three, four, five, six different types of business housed in one entity, you know, sort of in a vertical integration, but each of those businesses kind of requires a little bit of an expertise or someone who has that 10,000 foot view who can integrate all these different separate 
business models into each other. So I think that's really, I mean, I, I have no idea why the business went under and why it imploded and all those kinds of things, but just on the surface, um, it's a lot of different businesses. Maybe they needed to have like five little companies each run by somebody and then come together in the same space because they all require kind of separate expertise, licensing, financing structures and that kind of thing. I don't I don't want to throw any babies out with the bathwater. I think that part of the challenge that Pilotworks had was um, when the new regime came into Pilotworks, the community aspect was pretty much lost. And, and that was a very hard nail and and or, you know, pill to swallow for a lot of the makers there. Um, but also, you know, the, the guys that came in, you know, with no disrespect to tech in Silicon Valley, they came in to a food and beverage community and brought that model with them. And that, as we know, I mean, the, one of the core reasons why Pie Shell is a, pie, is a food and beverage vertical is because they don't play nice with drones and video games. And so it's very a different... different. Some it of is. it's the same. Some of it's very different. Exactly. And the stuff that is very different is what truly, you know, makes it the golden thing. But the thing that I want to share is that there are a lot of incubators and commercial kitchens that are doing it wonderfully well in the United States. I mean, if you took if you look at Kitchen Town, if you look at Union Kitchen in D.C., Hope and Maine, Commonwealth, Capital Kitchen, even Kitchen United. Um, I was at the Nick Summit I alluded to earlier. They received $10 million in Google funding. I mean, there are some kitchens, and the Cleveland guys are, are doing it great as well. And so, you know, United Kitchen's looking at the, at the Chicago space is what I've heard, and that they're going to be taking that over. So there are some people that are doing it right. And so I don't want to paint the entire industry. I want to make sure we're careful of that because there are some people that are, are doing it. Are they also doing the co-working they distribution, they sales, and the whole kit and caboodle? Yeah. Take okay. a look at Union Kitchen. Union Kitchen is a four-pronged model. They provide um, distribution, kitchen, um, the incubation aspect where you have mentors and incubators and, and conferences and whatever those people need. And they also provide a retail element. They are a perfect, you know, four pronged, four leaf clover. I mean, they're doing it very, very well, but they're sticking to what they know in DC. And, you know, we certainly don't know their grandmaster plans, but I think, I think what was happening in Brooklyn was okay. And from all indications, Brooklyn was doing well. And Brooklyn was, if not breaking even, potentially even making money. I think this was people biting off way too much more than they could chew in too quickly a time period and rolling out incredibly expensive spaces and decked out kitchens mm. to an audience that they did not have the customers yet. Well, yeah, and didn't understand. So one of the big challenges in food, as anyone in this room and probably many listeners know, is that you need to distribute product, you need trucks, and every single you know, you know, arm of logistics costs money to be able to do that. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't build all of a sudden tons of customers overnight. It takes time, right? And then on, beyond just taking time to be able to build infrastructure, the community, the food community in Brooklyn is actually very different than the food community on Long Island and very different than the food community in Manhattan, 100%. which is extremely different than the community oh, in Austin micro or Chicago. communities. That, Absolutely. That's, that's With the their point. own flavors. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. exactly. Pun intended. <laughs> exactly. So opening up a facility in Chicago, you know, and having one in Brooklyn, there aren't obvious synergies between the two because the community, what the community needs and how the food system is set up in every locality is different. And so raising a bunch of money and opening locations all across the country that are very uh, expensive to build in the first place without the customer base to warrant it and the research, you know, of the community itself before doing it is, I think, a lot of what happened in this instance. And, and so I don't think that the community in Brooklyn itself is one that 
or, or the business itself is one that couldn't operate or wouldn't work, um, but rather it's just one that expanded in a way that didn't make logical sense. Do op open question to people and, and going back to one of um, Michael's points from his 10,000 foot view, there are big companies that invested in pilot works and Campbell's is the one that always comes up because everybody knows who they are. No one's really heard from them what their point of view is or participation or anything like that. Do we think the pilot works story is an opportunity for a large company like that to step in and save the day? Do we think the pilot works story is going to be a cautionary tale and the big companies are going to back away from things that are experimental? Does anybody have an idea or sense or hope? I mean, I, 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 it could go a lot of different ways. I don't probably think we that the press related or the, the story here can be spun in such a way that like Campbell's is going to come in and save the day. But you do look at like Travis uh, from Uber, Travis Kalanick from Uber um, opening up uh, cloud kitchens with uh, the billions he made from from some selling off some of his Uber shares. Like I definitely think this idea of space and, and providing kitchen space that's at a, at a less rent than restaurants and obviously the whole restaurant industry with higher minimum wages and different just business aspects happening across the country you're starting to see alternative and like you mentioned all of the different uh all of the different co uh, co-working kitchen spaces as well um you're definitely gonna see more and more bigger names i think get into how does food get produced in a really new unique way to meet just changing economies changing cityscapes um things like that so and specific to, to pilot works, I think one of the problems you have with large brands is nobody wants to catch a falling knife. And so like, that's, again, pun intended. Like people are bigger brands aren't going to want to step up into something where there's a lot of unknowns and a lot of uncertainty. And by the way, a lot of negative press. Um, so I think it's harder to see a big brand coming in to save the day. But the large brands, whether you're talking about Kraft, Heinz or any of these other giant, you know, giant companies, they need a pipeline of new and innovative companies. So there's going to be demand for the people coming out of the incubators and out of the accelerators and all of that to be able to feed their natural, organic, exciting plant you know, forward, plant forward <laughs> yeah. pipeline. Um, but the idea that they're going to step in here and rescue a business that clearly had some problems um, feels unlikely to me. Yeah, well, maybe not rescue a business, but maybe rescue the community. I could see, I mean... It would be a very positive headline it would. or for something like a, you know, WeWork could have it be the new culinary WeWork. I mean, they opened a gym. They're going to open, you know, apartments and hotels and all that kind of stuff. So it could be a different vertical or even Uber, who is now in the eats and in the food. It's not exactly what they do, but it's adjacent to some of their new things. Interestingly, yeah, oh, well, I, Amazon, Amazon, I'm, who's I'm moving into Long Island City. I yeah. mean, you know, they could... I'm I mean, jumping Amazon in. Whole Foods yeah, incubator. I was, I'm part of the WeWork Labs incubator, and actually I just had a conversation this week with Lily because that's one of the things that um, she reached out. She said, you know, you you being at PyShell are an innovation platform as well because um, that's actually how Mike and I, from Mike from Our Harvest and I connected, is that he is 
one of our super backers and contributes to projects that it, when they hit the platform would be a great fit for his e-commerce site. And he, he's one of the very first contributors. And being part of the WeWorks Lab network, um, that was one of the things that they reached out and they were asking a lot of questions of, you know, what are you not getting, you know, being food and beverage focused, obviously I'm not a CPG, but I said, you know, we talked about the challenges of CPG companies and how they can't come into a WeWork. They need a kitchen and they need our D and they need labels and they need nutrition and they they're not tech guys that can sit on a computer all day with a big monitor and just grind it out and develop in the back end there's certainly a huge technical component to what they do but there's a very big barrier of entry so we work is absolutely knocking on that door and looking at what they can do better different you know we're proud at pieshell.com to help them towards that goal but to go back to the big companies i mean they are not stepping away from these new innovative tools we partner with some of the best incubators in the United States. We work with Chobani. We work with Springboid from Heinz Craft. We've, Chobani's an interesting Chobani's an one. interesting incubator. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had wonderful conversations with them. Mike and I were talking to the Chobani incubator. Mitch and Zoe has now stepped into that role when we were at Food Loves Tech. And, you know, they, they are absolutely looking at what they can do in the community and, and things like that. Um, but these guys are there because at its core, they're white lab coat R&D guys sitting in a, you know, a white room with no windows trying to come up with new and innovative ideas is really not a good use of their time or money when there are so many phenomenal entrepreneurs throughout the United States, Canada, even the world, bringing the ethnic flavor in. And they're looking at these guys and seeing what they do and where they're successful. And then actually, you know, the acquisitions, the RX bars, mm-hmm. the, you know, Sir Kensington. Yep. They let someone else do all the dirty work, you know, and and now they've got their venture. Yeah, now they've got their now they've got their venture arms, and you know we we're happy to be in conversations with them, and they're watching people come through our platform and through any any of these incubators and and kitchens. So they're definitely looking at it. But I I absolutely agree with you 100. percent They could write off probably in two seconds the check that is needed to bring those people back in. even, Especially even if it was just a bridge to something. I mean, I think there's a, I think there's a PR spin that could be spectacular. Yeah. But that's that's the that's the PR marketing person in me. No, absolutely. So we are out of time, and I'm sorry about that because it's a big, complicated, important story. And I'm going to put a pin in this for 2019, and maybe we'll have people come back and we'll follow up the story because I think it is important. You know, we read stories in the news. Oh my gosh, all these companies got locked out and put on the street, and then what happens? And then we move on to the next story. So I think it's important to remember things are still happening, even when you're not paying attention or you're, you know, moved on to the next thing. I want to thank everybody in the room for coming and sharing their story. And if you want to donate to the Pie Shell, our harvest crowdfunding, go to pieshell.com. If you want to check out farmtopeople.com, they also have an app They're going to be putting together some packages of products for the holidays of makers from Pilot Works. If you want to go and check out our harvest, they have a lot of amazing things. Thanksgiving turkey. Thanksgiving turkey is still like just a day or so. Just a day or so. Get on it before it's too late. Ourharvest.com. I want to thank everybody. I'm Jennifer Leitzi. This is Tech Bites. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. 
Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.